Welcome, friends, to another episode of Church of the Geek, the podcast where we examine the intersection of the comic and the divine, where the youth leader is kept under control by an explosive chip in her neck, and the pastor's study is filled with baby starfish. Hello, I'm Brian Bennett, Lutheran Campus Pastor of Psalm at Pitt, Carnegie Mellon, Chatham, and Carlo. And with me is my regular co-host, everyone's favorite King Shark hospice chaplain, Sam Blair. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I was Good. I was I was thinking as you were talking if we should call them pitfish, seeing as they come from Stara's armpits. But they are starfish. I mean that's that's the whole gig. It is the whole gig, but still. So they're starfish. Because they come from space, Sam. They're starfish. Oh, so it's a du- it's, it has double Whoa. meaning. It actually let just dawned on me. That I didn't even wow. Yeah. That's incredible. We are so smart. <laughs> so smart. That's all right. We have we have a little bit of reason to be out of kilter, don't don't you say? Don't you think? Yes, yes. We've just shipped both of our children, our oldest children off to college for the first time. Mhm. Mm-hmm. It's odd it's it's quite odd um, i've been working in campus ministry for nine and a half years and then you I've finally have one so many college students and uh, talked with parents who are new and it's been amazing and suddenly i'm the i'm one of those parents now and all of those students that i am greeting this could be my son whoa it's the circle of life and age. <laughs> yeah, I had the same kind of weird vibe going on. Not that, not so much the day of, but definitely the week before. There was mm. a whole, you know, whole lot of thinking about things and how 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 did we get here <laughs> to this point? Um. Right, but yeah, and yours, Corey's at RIT, and my yeah. oldest is at Cal U, California University of Pennsylvania. Yep. Um, and you, you you mentioned ahead of time that uh, you had to take his bike to him. Yeah, my wife already drove yeah. up. Has has just made another trip today because that's the way it goes. I get it. Well, that's, we had, when we had, had move-in day on Thursday, as we were unpacking things, he said, where's my backpack? I was like, yeah. I don't know. Check the cars. It's like, that has my laptop in it and other things. I'm like, okay, I'll go back and get it. So drove back and then drove back again. And when I got back, I said, it's a good thing you're not at RIT. Because this would not be happening. <laughs> There's a difference between what is it about hour ish drive? It's a, it's a little. It's over an hour, but not much over an hour. Not much, yeah. right? I was yeah. hour fifteen, maybe. Yeah, from from up here. Yeah, it's four and a half to RT. We and we've already sent one package uh, of things mm-hmm. that he needed. So. Such as life, it's not a big deal. Yeah, my my wife got to have lunch with him, so mm-hmm. that's very nice. Yeah, 
but we are we are definitely in that age group now that is sending their kids off to the to college and yeah and our knees are aching and beards are growing by the by the second yep indeed so what better time uh when everything is up in the air what better time than now to examine the suicide squad mm-hmm. you know facing challenges in life giving giving new new opportunities you know presented to you going into new situations that have uh tremendous hopes attached to them as well as you know some danger and 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 uncertainty indeed and having the chance to show show your best self to the world and uh learn and grow and flourish uh make make new friends mm yes meet new people eats new people um forge alliances mhm yes uh, oh wait i thought we were talking about like um charlie brown goes to camp goes to college <laughs> charlie brown goes to college yeah. No, it's uh Suicide Squad. The Suicide The Suicide Squad. Not the to be suic- confused I with know, I'm going to do that squad, all the time. Which <sighs> Yeah. The the makes all the difference. Mhm. It's almost like the first one didn't happen, which is fine. Right? It did, but it didn't. That was such a hot mess that first one. Yeah. It was kind of all over. There were there were good things I liked about the original. That uh, the original. We're just the first. I'm not going to call it the original. I'm going to call it the first one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we will be talking about details of the movie, obviously. So if you haven't watched it yet, uh, feel free to pause. And my cat just knocked over a calculator onto the floor. Uh, and if you uh, let me start over again. <laughs> So we are going to talk about spoilers. So obviously, if you haven't watched The Suicide Squad yet and uh, don't want anything spoiled for you, feel free to pause and watch it and come back. Or if you don't care, just listen on and uh, you can decide if it's something that you want to dive into. So speaking of All diving right. into, we'll we'll dive in ourselves. All right. So if, if just so we're all on the same base, here's the... Here's the here's the gist. Amanda Waller ha- once again pulls together Task Force Task Force X to save the world from an unknown threat on the island of Corto Maltese. And to do so, she brings together a motley crew of supervillains with bizarre powers, mad skills, and bad morals. Th- their job is to find and neutralize Project Starfish by any means necessary, including the loss of their own lives. The result is a violent and irreverent action comedy where even a mutant man-eating shark can be the good guy. So true. Mm-hmm. So true. I, I will say we might even give spoilers about Suicide Squad, but right. Yeah, that's. I mean, that came that. out when the it's first few one. years. It's been a few yeah, years. I think we're we're past the spoiler stage. But yes, exactly. And no, I don't think we're going to talk about that much at all maybe occasional comparisons. Nonetheless, what 
what what were your what's your reaction to the Suicide Squad, Sam? I thought it was hysterical. I thought <laughs> it was so. I was I was trying to make a graph in terms of like when over the top things are funny and and when they're not. Um. There seems to be some kind of there's some there's some kind of thing regarding this, like especially gross out violent humor, or you know like gross out violence where it's either too timid and it's boring, or it's done primarily to kind of cause disgust or make you feel gross or cringe, whereas in here it's it's done primarily because it's it's so over the top to make you laugh and it works. It does work. It works. I can't imagine. I do not even think of a scene where I was like, that didn't work. That was bad. Mm-hmm. Every, everything was, it was, it was over the top sort of violence and gore. That was a fine tune or a, a finely honed scalpel, mm-hmm. you know, for that, for that comedic effect. It was not the, bludgeon that knocked us over the head you know and made us go wow this one always got to the very amusing stage very quickly Mm -hmm. and the the characters were Mm. that they chose were i think 90 percent of the battle not not just the characters but the actors that they chose for them um the way the movie began Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Basically with two teams and the first team starts off and you're like they got these guys? Okay. And they end up being with the exception of uh Flag and Harley Quinn, all the rest are like really? All right. Yeah. Who are this? Who's this? You know. So and really, then it ends up, they're just a diversion. So good. So well played. Watching them get their, well, heads blown off, essentially, yeah. um, was unexpected. It's not, I don't think any of us. Yeah. I, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming I was not ready either. for it, which was funny. And I think the fact that they cast big name actors in those roles, like Nathan Fillion, um, yeah, Nathan really. Fillion, Pete uh, Davidson, we, I'm trying to remember oh, who was Sentry, um, the guy who played Yondu. Oh, Savant. Yeah. Oh, Savant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not Sentry. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but yeah, it's the guy who played Yondu, and uh, that's. So they were all, and, and then Harley was there, and they're sold out by uh, what we think is Blackguard, uh, Pete Davidson's character. Um, but a little bit later, we're not entirely sure if that's the case, mm-hmm. or if maybe Amanda Waller just did it. Mm-hmm. So, oh, they had, right? So that first, it was Weasel, Blackguard, Mongol. Javelin. TDK. 
TDK, Captain Boomerang. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Colonel Rick Flag and Harley Quinn. Oh, and um, Michael Rooker as Savant. Right, right, right. Yeah, Michael Rooker. Yeah, that's the guy who plays Yondu. In that other series by James Gunn. And there was also uh, Javelin, who was played by Flula Borg, which I I don't know who that is, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That one was super important because it sets up Harley later on. Mm -hmm. That relation. But otherwise... (laughs) <laughs> Except for Flag and, and Harley, they all die. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, best death scenes, perhaps, in a superhero flick so far. Mm-hmm. But it, I agree with you. I laughed. Uh, I kept, I said it was, I felt like it was a, a cross between Guardians of the Galaxy and Deadpool. Right. Because um, there was the witty uh, pacing, the uh, amusement, the just really well-delivered quips and such. Uh, But also, like, as you mentioned with the gore, it just lined up there. Um, Nothing was held back. Mm -hmm. Did you have a favorite? Did you have a favorite moment of gore? Um, King Shark, like that chewing was... on the guy's head with his eyeball still rolling at it. And he's kind of like, just oh. like kind of chewing on it, gnawing on it in front of the camera yeah, for an extended period of time. <laughs> right, 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 right. How I, about you? Yeah, for me, it was actually, it was also King Shark, but it was that I felt like it was the splash page that you get in comics. It was the lightning Oh yeah. Shoots behind him and you watch him as he tears apart someone uh, and you, you like, you see their body rip in half. The spinal cord comes out as viscera. You know, and yeah, it's just, it, it was so good. It, it fit in so well with it. I went back and looked at, you know, James Gunn. Cause I, I knew him mostly from guardians of the galaxy and right. some other stuff. He did species. I didn't know mm. that he had been involved with trauma and the that that whole studio and you know Toxic Avenger and stuff like that. Yeah, there was a little clip of of Toxic Avenger in there evidently. Ah, I wouldn't know I that. didn't see it. I saw it mentioned in the trailer or in the not the trailer. Brian, come on. The credits. If you watch credits. Oh yeah. There's a thing that says clip from Toxic Avenger used by, you know, and I'm like, when was that? I missed yeah, it. I've, so I've I got to go back and watch it. it. So there was a little a little Easter egg. Mm-hmm. But, but that seems to fit in well with what he's doing here in terms of making something that is in some way social commentary while being humorous and gross and doing something really that the mainstream wouldn't necessarily touch otherwise. Yeah. The fact that DC made this movie the way, the way that it did, I thought was very surprising. (laughs) 
it's kind of like they saw Deadpool and just went, okay, oh yeah, well, I see that and raise you this. The I felt like with this one, this is the first time it felt like they just trusted their director mm-hmm. to make the right movie. Rather than, you know, the, um, uh, the director of Wonder Woman, uh, Patty um, Jenkins. Yeah, Patty it? Jenkins. She she had constant battles with the with the studio or with mm-hmm. the, with DC, like trying to. They didn't want this and with that, she had to fight for a lot of things, right? And I just felt like, in this regard, it just felt so much like James Gunn that. I can't imagine that they just went, no, 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 no. But they took they took a team of villains, right? They mm-hmm. have they're making a movie about a team of villains that uh have to go undergo these these missions to shorten their prison sentence. And they went, Yeah, you know what? We're just gonna go for the R rating. Mm-hmm. They trusted it. Cause it's the right thing. Cause I can't remember if the if that if Suicide Squad was a rated R or not. It was, I think. Yeah, see, but, I don't feel like they leaned into that. Yeah, and I think that it it again there was it felt like it was done sort of by committee, like they were trying so hard. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the DC movies have been kind of like that. I think it's, I agree. Yeah, you know, maybe not Shazam, but. A lot of the DC movies are like, okay, if we're going to take, the, we're going to try and make this type of movie. Like, we're going to make a gritty, dark, you know, uh, superhero movie, or we're going to make a uh, comic booky action, you know, um, special effects extra- extravaganza, like like um, Aquaman. Um, or we're going to make this really edgy neon uh, action film, which was the the first there was Suicide Squad. They were either trying to be edgy, but right. ended up not really being, not really being edgy, just sort of. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't have a lot of direction. It didn't have. I think because they were trying to put all these disparate elements together, but yeah, I, I I think that was one of the things I appreciated that the first thing we did was jump into into the uh, into the mission and then got the backstory as we went along, right? Which the the I I really did love the uh, sort of the time or scene uh, cards that were there. Oh yeah, you know, three weeks ago now. Uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. The way they they let us know, like whether it was just sort of words would appear out of driftwood or built flames. into the scene in some way. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was creative. Yeah, and I really like that. Um, mm-hmm. It it never let you take it too seriously. That's right. That's right. From the very get go, there was no chance you could go. Oh, this is going to be really deep cinema or it's going to be a real serious DC superhero movie. No, 
It simply was what it was. It's like the only character that didn't have that kind of uh, arc to them or that kind of that element to them was was Amanda Waller herself. She was like the only person in there who was ju- who was that just I the, the only irredeemable character in that movie. I loved Amanda Waller. Yeah. I loved I loved the way she played. Precisely because there was she was no nonsense. It was what it was. Uh, no, I thought I thought she was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I I really liked that. She she was set apart from everything else. And uh, yeah. So Did, there were some interesting things. Um, yeah, go ahead. It, I th- in in terms of looking at. Uh, you know, these are, these are characters, the ones that survived <laughs> who, mm. who have, mm-hmm. who have a redemptive arc to them. And there's a, a redemptive story for a lot of these characters and they all have their, their reasons for doing what they're doing. I thought some the one that surprised me the most was uh, Harley Quinn, I think, because I really appreciated how they not only wrote that character now, but how also how Margot Robbie played it mm-hmm. in that she wasn't like this hyper sexualized, like, uh, crazy person. It was like she, right. That's the, that's sort of the base level Harley. Yeah. Hypersexualized chaos agent. Yeah, hyper, and that seemed much less so this time. She, I mean, she certainly was still an agent of chaos, but she still the, it wasn't literally and figuratively written all over. Her. Right. <laughs> she was. She was very much her own person, and I think you know there there was the Birds of Prey movie, which was supposed to be you know about the emancipation of. Harley Quinn. This was, I think, more of an emancipation of Harley Quinn than that was, because it was her really being herself and kind of embracing her role uh, to kind of do to do the right thing, um, and even watch out for watch out for the rest of the team. So. I think I thought that really was a was an interesting. I I knew that she was going to be one of the main characters because yeah, she's always one of the main characters. But I really liked the way that they that they put her that they that they wrote her. the The scene that got me was when right she has been taken to the uh, president's estate. He, the president asks her to marry him. Uh, they have a. <clears throat> encounter uh, of a personal nature and afterwards as as he unveils his plan and what he's thinking she shoots him and she talks about red flags like Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know she she learned from her her previous (laughs) boyfriend that there were red flags oh like that was a it was i don't know i really liked it like and I think that goes to that point that she was not just the hypersexualized uh, chaos agent. She actually 
was thinking about the choices she makes and such. And it was funny in that particular situation, that was an absolutely reasonable thing to say. Not so much a reasonable thing to do, but a reasonable thing to say and a reasonable insight to have. (laughs) Yeah. No, that was so. Yeah, I I thought I really liked uh, her her storyline within that. Um, Although I will say I did kind of wonder she had that extended uh, escape scene Mm -hmm. uh, where. Although, you know, there's a scene where she's hanging uh, in manacles, right? And then mm-hmm. she pretends that she's dead or unconscious. And then she, you see Harley uh, pull leg, her legs up around uh, the unsuspecting guard's uh, throat and pull it. Margot Robbie actually did that mm. herself. She, I was reading this on, um, actually... Uh, Gail Simone's uh, Twitter thread. Uh, she was talking about how how much she liked it and how she met uh, Margot a couple times, uh, like on set. And she said Margot was incredibly focused. And then there was a story in that that anytime that there is a like a stunt double, Margot would like go home for the weekend, learn the thing that she had to do, and would come back and do it herself. Mm. So I was, impressive. I was it was impressive because it's an impressive piece of um, uh, action mm-hmm. that she pulls off. So mm-hmm. that was pretty great. The the scene, the one thing I didn't, it was fine. I didn't thought it really detracted, but when she was escaping and she has the javelin, mm-hmm. <laughs> that she is proceeding to uh, use to escape by mowing down guards. All of the flowers that were yeah. just sort of streaming out of I didn't I didn't get that, but I was amused mm-hmm. at any rate. So I I kind of thought it was interesting because rather than well, and this was it was kind of a question I had in that you know this it was playing into the stereotype of all girls want to be, be want to be princesses and to think that they're pretty and. Uh, live in a castle with the prince and so on, which was what she was offered. And I kind of wondered if that was a little bit too on the nose or a little bit too trite or stereotypical. Um, but that's how I took the the thing with uh, the flowers, like rather than the blood flying, it's like, oh, of course flowers are flying mm, out of people's mm. wounds because... She's a pretty princess, and pr- pretty princesses have flowers all over them. So fair. That's so fair. That, that's how I took it. Yeah. Okay. I, I'll I'll go with it. That's that's good good as anything I've heard. So mm-hmm. uh, it was. I feel like that was one of the things that. One of the few things that bordered on the ludicrous that didn't make sense. So. But I I enjoyed it nonetheless. But. All of these, <laughs> as if the you know the giant man-eating shark who, that you know, hey. we, we were all set up for that. That's fine. Yeah, and, and the guy whose arms could can detach and attack people on their own. <laughs> could attack people on their own poorly. Yes, slap them. Yeah, like no. Um. Yeah. So. 
the I don't know if so Harley had a, had there was some redemption. We were getting more depth to her character. Right? We 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 start to see her flesh out beyond the um sexualized uh, chaos agent. Um she starts to have agency, right, of her own. I don't know that the the only other one that seems had redemption was Bloodsport. Mm-hmm. I thought his was his was real redemption because he continued to his what he began the movie with the, that there was no good in him at all. Mm-hmm. Then moves. I think he discovers some of that anyway, but I don't know. Maybe Ratcatcher. Yeah, I did see it in some. I did see it in some of the other characters, like you said, Rat uh, Ratcatcher, Ratcatcher Two, to be precise. To, to be precise, <laughs> to yes. Be precise. In terms of, yeah, I thought that the way they they told her story in terms of how the the rats, you know, took care of her after her her father's death, and because of some, you know, scientific gadgets that he had made to. Um, help some some scientific gadgets that he had made to help the rats help them in in their lives right. like underground and but I also saw it in in polka dot man who was this you know <laughs> saw himself in this kind of he was this grotesque person who was sort of no one could figure out exactly what he was there for what he was supposed to do and had been is kind of in it, dealing with his own trauma because the reason he has these polka dots on him is because his mother experimented on him and he's an outcast from society outcast from other you know other heroes other villains and you know he sh- he shouts at one point i'm a superhero you know he finally gets to live his dream about being the being the good guy that's fair um and yeah. I kind of think even like King King Shark, you know, he's in the same thing where he's this this character who uh, is not very bright, is seen as this monstrosity that you can't reason with. It's just kind of like working with a child, and yet he is able to, you know, help bring down Starro and. Uh, go through the army of, of, of Cordo Maltese. And, you know, he gets to see himself, you know, being the hero as well. That's, and that's, that's a couple of examples. I, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, it's fine. I, I mean, th- none I, of these characters have huge arcs. That's true. It was uh peacemaker was the one that I was like, there's no redemption for him. Yeah. At least here. I just, uh, John Cena's character was not. He was, yeah, he was one of the, he was kind of the the character in the film who was remarkable in that he didn't have the face turn. He wasn't the good guy who then did the face turn because it wasn't in keeping with his character. But yeah, I, I love Peacemaker too. Just the way 
<laughs> sitting his, with his white Lacoste polo shirt with that little ridiculous helmet on. <laughs> Going through the jungle, I thought was absolutely hysterical. But it was, I, there was an interview with John Cena that I read uh, where he talked about how he kind of in doing this film, he's, he thought people would uh, take a shine to it because we like seeing people who have redemptive arcs to them. We'd like to see people who, uh, who maybe did bad things, made bad choices, lived bad lives, who can then go and make good out of their lives regardless, you know, give some hope for us. Right. Why, why, I have mixed feelings about this, right? I get that people like to see the redemptive arc. But I want to know, first off, I want to know, why do you think that is? Why is that such a popular move? I think a good deal of it has to do with our own desire to do better and to be better that so often competes with the demon who's sitting on our other, other shoulder who's saying, you're never going to amount to anything. You're, you're not good enough. You're not going to do those. You're not going to make anything with your life. There's no good left in you. Or why bother? Uh, There's yeah. no good left in the world to bother. You know, even if you could, it's not going to make a difference. There, I think it's a antidote to nihilism basically. And it, I think, and I think especially when you have cultural points where there's a lot of turmoil, where there's a lot, a, a lack of trust, where we see a lot of negativity and, stuff that can make us turn sour on the world or turn sour on each other and turn sour on ourselves. Um, I think those, those times really make us want in some way, or maybe I don't know if necessarily want, but at least resonate with those characters or those arcs that have re- redemptive storylines. Okay. And yeah. Here, Cause here's, here's, here's my, Thinking, we like to see it in the movies. We like to see it uh, in books, whatever in the in the stuff that we consume. I am not sure that we're all that excited about real redemptive arcs in real life. Though mm, mm-hmm. um, we we read stories people who are in prison, um, you know. For whatever reason, there is a time when their life impacts someone else's so poorly. And we don't wanna we don't wanna take into account after that that there's any that there's any possible good there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um despite no matter no matter what we see in any other in other in any other way from their life. Like they've done this thing and it is the scarlet letter 
scarlet letter that they carry on for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. There is no redemption from that. So that's the part that, yes, I love to see redemptive arcs in movies and, and such, but why are we so bad at recognizing them in real life? Mm -hmm. And while you were talking, I was just thinking about, you know, how many Christian self-help books are there published every year? And <laughs> how how many of us have gone to those, you know, those books to try and make something better of ourselves and feel better for a little while and then end up right back in the same the same place where we were before. Um, maybe not feeling or maybe feeling like we've learned something more about ourselves, but our lives still maybe are not significantly changed. Um and maybe there's something to be said for that, where is are some of these redemptive stories told and make us feel good because then that way we ha we get to experience that redemption without having to be redeemed or having to go through the redemptive process that these characters do, you know, the characters on screen, the characters in the comics, the characters in the books that we, you know, the authors of the books that we read that have had life-changing circumstances or tremendous problems that they've gone through and were come out through on the other side. And it's like, so a vicarious redemption, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And maybe because of the very vicarious nature of it, it's not something that's long lasting and we don't incorporate it into ourselves. It's something that's still out there. It's not a story that we can tell about ourselves. It's a story that we can tell about and that we can identify with in some, some way, but it's not a story that is mine. Yeah. I just, It just felt weird. Redemptive arc. People love them. Well, sort of, unless they're real. Mm -hmm. And then it's questionable. Mm -hmm. So I just, yeah. There, there was something I was actually listening to uh, a while ago as a podcast um, and uh, inter uh, interviewing the author of a book who, who one of the th things that she mentioned was, um, how we can be so eager to uh, fight the enemies and solve the problems that aren't there. But when we are faced with actual real problems that, re that require actual action and actual redemption, we wave those aside as something that either aren't, aren't really there to begin with or something that um, we can't do anything about, and maybe that's that's something with that with that redemption too. It's like you know, part of redemption. The first part is realizing that you there is something you need to be redeemed from, and whether that be yourself, whether that be from a system that you're involved in. Maybe it's your own complacency. Who knows? It could be on any number of different things. Um, and that redemption always comes at a cost. 
And I think it's easy. There's something, there's something comforting about being able to go through that whole redemptive process in your mind because it costs you nothing and you, and yet you feel better at the end. One of the things that ends up the real twist in the storyline, right? That happens is the team discovers that this mission, which they were told was to stop project starfish is really to erase the involvement of the U S government in this in, in this project, project. yeah. In Project Starfish, that they're responsible for it, and sort of it was a basically a, a black op site for them to pursue this stuff under the eye of uh, <laughs> Peter Capaldi's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was uh, his character's name? I want to say the thinker, but that's not right. Thinker, that's his name. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, and that's where the, that's where the, you know, that's the choice that the team makes to become more heroic than villainous, right? Mm-hmm. Is they don't turn over all of the files. Peacekeeper is supposed to get that that data and turn it in. And so, and then the process kills Flag, kills um, just anyone who gets in the way, tries to at least. Yeah. Um, but, uh, they managed to uh, get it safe. Don't necessarily expose anything, but they keep it safe and keep themselves safe, mm-hmm. which is which is good. But I mean, I think this brings the question we in the in our synopsis we talked about them having bad morals, but. What kind of morals does it does it uh, require for Amanda Waller uh, to use a, basically uh, extortion, really, mm-hmm. to do tasks that couldn't really be done otherwise? Yeah. I mean, I think this also has real world things. People like when we look at prisoners, right? Make them do hard labor, make them make them work hard. Mm-hmm. That this okay, but there's no sense. There's no there's no evidence that shows that they actually uh, 
that it actually that that sort of activity really rehabilitates them. All it does is serve to punish them, right? Even more, as if prison wasn't enough. Now you're going to make them do hard labor in prison, right? So what's what's the purpose? So, um, I'm not going to talk about virtue ethics. I'm not going to talk about virtue <laughs> ethics. I'm not going to talk about virtue ethics. Not right, well, Let me talk. All right, remember that. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. No, talk uh, about no, virtue I'm, ethics. Then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just. You know, um, but again, we're faced with the ends justify the means. And I think we go right along with the with the storyline. I think that's one of the nice things is we're taking on the we're taking on the journey with the with the team mm-hmm. during the mission to discover, oh, look at this. This isn't really about saving the world. It's about wiping out the the evidence. Mm-hmm. I just the Suicide Squad is a cool idea, but it's I mean, there's part of me that recoils at the horrific nature of this whole arrangement. Oh yeah. That was something I had thought of too, in terms of, you know, the 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 whole arrangement is premised on the idea that these these villains are expendable. And that if, if they die in the process, it's no big loss and no one will, no one will know and no one will care. And, and like you said, a wall, you know, Amanda Waller is willing to send uh, Bloodsport's daughter to jail for the rest of her life for whatever reason to get him to do it. And, you know, that, that really uh, kind of comes the the real horror is the fact that it's not the violence. It's that these, that someone in authority sees and treats human life only as a means for a particular end and does not value that particular life. Um, and it, it was something I, I had read too and, doing a little bit of research for this, another uh, writer made a connection between, you know, the suicide squad and their expendability to James Gunn's own expendability to Marvel and how, you know, he, he said some pretty horrific, nasty, ugly things. Yeah. um, And Marvel dropped him like, like a hot, hot tamale. And, but there, there was no way of him redeeming himself or being redeemed in the process. And what the writer kind of talked about was maybe this is a little bit of him working out his own feelings regarding, you know, what's, what is the world like when you're expendable? And that the people that you think have your own best interests in minds at times just turn that right around on you. And all you are is a means to an end. You're if, if you're just a person who cranks out movies, we'll find someone else who cranks out movies. Um, so yeah. And yeah, the, the whole task force X thing, the whole suicide squad thing, you know, that leans into a lot of really nasty stuff regarding, 
U.S. relations in Latin America and uh, the carceral system that has these villains in place in the first place and how it uses uh, those who are incarcerated to perpetuate some bad things in the world. Right. As much as, right, we love the opening scene, there was no, there was never any chance that that first team was ever going to do anything but die on the beach. Right. That was, that was it. Because they were meant to be a diversion. They, you said, they're expendable. They're, they were of no value except to help the other team get where it needed to be. The, uh, in the same regard, right? Once it is, it's determined that perhaps they're going off script because they're going to, they are putting their lives at risk, right? Because suddenly, again, their life has no value. And I think this goes with the same thing with, with the redemption arcs. Um, you know, we love to see the redemption arcs. At the same time, do we see it, within prisons, it's it's much more difficult for us to say, mm-hmm. oh, there's, there's... Because the question is, do the people in prison, right, do they bear the image of God or not? Mm-hmm. Are they... Do they have inherent dignity? And And the answer is yes, they do. Well, if that's the case, how do how do we treat them? Mm-hmm. And um, if we create a system where they we feel like they have to earn their that dignity back, that's not that's not what it is. Why do we not treat them with dignity from the very get go? What would that mm-hmm. look like? Right. If we actually treated. people who do who do horrific things and are and are paying consequences what it would still look like if they if we actually treated them with dignity mm-hmm. I, well, I feel like that's the gospel right yeah exactly and and even even more broad you know painting more broadly you know not just you know looking at the incarceration system but the whole system of othering people whether it be people on people that we think are on the wrong side of the political line or people who were born in the wrong place, speak with the wrong accent. Yeah. Look the wrong way, like the wrong people. And that whole thing of when those people, when you other those kinds, you know, when you other people who aren't like you, you, dehumanize them and I wonder I wonder if the entire reality of being created in the image of God and therefore bearing some inherent dignity and worth just by your existence I wonder if that is the reason that we continue to read again and again throughout the Hebrew Bible about caring for the widow the orphan and the stranger in the gate the, mm-hmm. the alien in your land mm-hmm Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. <laughs> yeah. 
there's a part of your story where you were not treated with dignity. Do not make that mistake with others. Mm-hmm. And again, I can set that aside for a for a two hour comedy. Yeah, you know, com- a comedic action flick. So let's say, um, but I do think those that's a it's a really, I mean it's it's horrific, and maybe that's part of the the horror that is being lifted up and it makes it easier for us to consider it, consider mm-hmm. the issue mm-hmm. because it's done in a, in a, in a comedic way, but I'm afraid most folks would just ignore it and there it goes. Yeah. So, cause I don't think, I don't think we, we deal with dignity issues really well on any front mm-hmm. necessarily mm-hmm. because there are always peacemakers out there who are like, they must die for freedom. Yeah. There's a threat to freedom. Well, or whatever you, cause you want, I just, that, that was right. And if, and if you think about, you know, other superhero films, just for example, I mean, the, the hero, could never not be a hero and in, in many cases and sure there's often some kind of a redemptive arc, but they're always still the hero. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's some obvious, it's not in every case, obviously, but, um, but what, what makes uh, the suicide squad different, I think is that, you know, these are not people who are, who are heroes. They're, they are people who are not like us. Whereas people, you know, the, the heroes of the MCU, for example, Tony Stark and Captain America and all that, they're people that are held up as ideals that we, you know, should strive to be. And they're, and they are like us. And so therefore it's easier to, identify in in that way and kind of their but in their redemptive arc is often easier because I think they're like us, but it's, it's harder whenever those, those heroes I'm using air quotes are, are not like us where those heroes are the, are the villains. Um, but because you know we're trained that the heroes have value and the villains don't. Yeah, and yeah. and like this kind of film flips around and you know makes you ask questions about who are the villains, who are the heroes, what makes them villainous, what makes them heroic, those sorts of things. And I think, yeah, it does. You know, help help you kind of posit those questions about what are we doing to the people who aren't like us? Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll pause it here and, uh, yeah, that only brings us to our regular question. Sam, what are you geeking out about? Oh boy. I am geeking out about Evangelion on Amazon prime, which is, 
the the final arc of this anime series that's been going on for about 20 years i think uh in various fits and iterations and stops and starts and they're finally closing closing the book on it and i can't even explain a tenth of it in the time I have because it is it's the most philosophically confusing and dense and obtuse and and confusing and nonsensical piece of amazingness that i've seen in a long time it is highly inappropriate at times it is highly disturbing at times it is depressing but it is also awesome so it's it's a whole lot of stuff all in one little all in one little thing and it has giant robots and all kinds of stuff battling other big giant things oh yeah so it it was quite cool i'm so i'm I'm jazzed on. I've been trying to catch up on the on the prior some of the prior episodes to refresh myself because it's this is like the third the third film. They came out with three films. The first film was kind of a consolidation of the of the series. Then the second film was kind of built off that, and then the third one is its own thing. But there's been quite a time between the second film and the third film. Nice. All right. And you? I, I got to say, it's not anything that I'm watching or reading or consuming right now. All of my all of my geeking out is happening sort of, it's, it's stored up in potential. Because we are entering a phase right now because uh, a new, a new season of Titans is out. Mm-hmm. A new season of uh, Doom Patrol is coming out. Uh, we have uh, Shang Chi and the, the mm-hmm. Legend of the Ten Rings. We've got Eternals, which yep. I am going to say the the most recent trailer I think should be the one that gets everybody really excited. The other ones have been very cryptic and yeah. and all, but this one lays it out. Um, that's you know, so that's coming. Um, I still haven't gotten to What If, mm. um, and. There's just so much right now that is coming down the pike. It's all sort of lined up and I'm geeking out about it, but I also know that it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose, (laughs) just the way that it's coming at us and how quickly. Because Shang-Chi is next month, correct? September. Eternals is November. November and... All oh, right, we got Dune coming out in October twenty second. Yep, uh, just so much. And when does the other, like you mentioned, Doom Patrol? Is that September? September. Yeah. Which I I will say I um, I had I read the uh, I started with Doom Patrol in the most recent uh, DC Young Animals uh, imprint written by uh, Gerard Way. Uh, that's when I started reading doom patrol Mm -hmm. and it's so wacky and bizarre. So when it, I had a chance to see the series, I, I turned it on and, uh, it's so wacky and bizarre. And (laughs) like you said, part of inappropriate and just, so there's, but it's, it was very compelling. Mm. 
love loved it so much the 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 characters the storylines the uh all of that so i'm looking forward to this next season uh really uh it's good it's good stuff that's all coming down i i just so excited for this stuff that's what i'm geeking out about in prepper i'm 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 sort of pre-gaming my geek out (laughs) you're 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 pump you're priming the geek pump yeah absolutely so that's all good all good all right everyone thanks so much for listening to another episode of church of the geek please uh connect with us on twitter at geek church uh you can send us an email geekchurch1 at gmail.com and uh on facebook at church of the geek uh tell us why we're wrong about the suicide squad or uh, how you saw uh things play out there uh, but tell us what uh, you think about redemptive arcs yeah right um absolutely the uh <clears throat> As always, uh, like, share, uh, and uh, review if you get a chance to do that. We would uh, that would be really helpful for us uh, on whatever platform you're doing it. Uh, you're listening to us, so uh, and uh, you know I kept saying that the light is at the end of the tunnel, but people keep trying to prove me wrong. Please, folks. Um, I, I mean, I don't. It's not that I don't care, uh, but uh, washing the hands seems to be less important anymore. But uh, trust in God, wear a mask, get the vaccine, and as always, geek be with you. And also with you.